Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. And I'm so happy to be here with you on this beautiful summer day. Uh, The stampede, is it over today? Today's last day. I managed to get to uh, several pancake breakfasts, and um, so I probably had about 15 or 20 pancakes in the last four days, and lots of sausages and bacon. And we were at one of the uh, stampede breakfasts, and there was a, a, a you know an animal farm. And I just thought it was interesting how they had um, pigs there, and we were petting these pigs while people are literally on the other side was a big napkin of bacon. And I just thought, wow, that's just pure terrible rudeness. But in the heart of Stampede, I just gobbled that bacon down and petted the pig. <laughs> it was awesome. Well, we love you guys. We're so thankful you're here. Again, if I've never met you before, I tried to meet a few of you new faces. We got a gift for you. My name's Ryan, and I have the distinct privilege and honor of my wife and I get to pastor Love City Church here. We've been in a great series starting last week called God is Involved. And if you didn't hear it, it's online, ready for you on our website. Uh, you can also subscribe to our iTunes, uh, Google Play, all those things. But we're going to get right into it today because, man, just uh, the theme of today is just God is so funny how he does, he just is intertwining today's thoughts. And I really believe today uh, is, a, is a momentous day for many of your lives. I think that God, as Andrew mentioned, God, you, you half the battle is just coming in the house of God and, you know, whatever's going on in your life, whatever baggage is going on, whatever situation's going on, be able to walk into the house of God and uh and just kind of be and man what a great time in god's presence every song the scriptures andrew read just online so god is obviously wants to say something to you today and uh, so if you missed last week i encourage you head online listen to it catch up but we're going to continue just talking about how our god is involved we're doing a series through the book of ruth and uh, while we're in the book of Ruth, we're just kind of learning a little bit about, uh, about life, about God, about uh, our spirituality, our journey to, uh, on this life that God has us on. And the interesting thing about the book of Ruth is it's not a theological book. It's seriously a practical life book. That when we read the book of Ruth, there isn't a whole lot of dreams and there isn't a whole lot of uh, divination or, or you know, moments of where they're experiencing the spiritual realm. There isn't a lot of moments where you know, an angel of the Lord comes down or there isn't a lot of moments where there's uh, you know, noticeable quote-unquote miracles. But it's this... this this steady story about life and how God is involved in every aspect of your life and how God is has a great legacy in store for your life and how you might not realize this, you might not know this, no matter where you're at on your spiritual journey, whether you've been serving God for many years or maybe you're just new or maybe you're here today and you say, I wouldn't even call myself a Christian, maybe you believe in God or don't even know what that means or maybe you don't. Did you know that God has you on a journey and that he is actually involved in your life even if you don't believe in it? Even if you don't know who he is, God is actively involved in your life. And I know in my own life, I've realized that there's really two types of kind of journeys in life, two things that kind of happen in our lives uh, in, in the journey towards 
living out the life that we hope to live. I mean, the first thing is when circumstances happen in our life. We have these moments in our life where things happen, where situations happen. You lose a loved one. There's sickness in your body or someone's body in your family or you lose a job randomly or just life happens and the circumstance causes you to make some choices. It puts you in a position where you have to make some choices for your life. You, this circumstance I'm facing right now, I didn't plan for it. It just kind of happened. And now I have to make a decision about the steps I'm going to make in my life. The other vantage point is that when life's going on and we get in our head or in our life, we feel like we need to make a choice. Maybe you're working a job that you're not satisfied with. And so you make a personal decision to either get a new job in a new city, which means relocating your family, which means finding a new school. And there's all of these circumstances that follow the decisions that you make. And so we either experience circumstances which require decisions or we make decisions which cause circumstances for good or, uh, for good or bad, for better, for worse, up and down. Our decisions end up leading in our life to certain things that happen, good and bad. Some of them are godly. Some of them are not. Some of them God is totally involved. Some of them is just us being selfish and want our, our own way and we want it now. And if I look back on my life, I realize I could see that the grace of God finding me all throughout my life. I can see the grace of God navigating me all throughout my existence, all throughout my life. I see the grace of God finding me, but I also find my own personal involvement in my life. I look back on my life and I, I look back on the different seasons of my life and the different things of my life and I can tell you moments when I knew the grace of God was finding me, where the grace of God was pursuing me, where the grace of God was just in it, where the grace of God was in what was happening in my life. And then there's other moments that I look back on and I realize, my goodness, gosh, I was, that was kind of really all about me. I kind of made a choice that led to a circumstance. I mean, I got a few of those moments in my life, some good moments. I mean, obviously, the moment I met my wife, Stephanie, I mean, that was probably the most significant. I love you, Brea. You're my daughter, and I'll always love you, but she is the most significant uh, experience and choice in my life. I mean, I had the week prior, on a Thursday night at 7 p.m., there was this girl that I was, like, really interested in, and we had coffee, and she broke me, she let me down gently that I was not uh, going to go forward in, in her journey, and I was, took that pretty hard, and so I was, remember, sitting on my parents' couch, weeping like, like a little baby, just, oh, I just want, I'm so lonely, and I want to meet someone, and I just know God wants me married, and I had all such, such enormous sense of loneliness, which I know there's a lot of people in the room today probably have felt that or are feeling that right now and you feel like gosh like I'm so alone and I want to meet someone well like I just finally settled it in my heart okay God I don't understand your way gosh I'm, I'm gosh I'm almost 21 God like come on life's kind of you know speeding up here and like I just really need to find someone in my life and I just remember at that moment uh, I said okay God I'm gonna settle it I'm going to leave it up to you, and if you want me to meet somebody, I'm, going to, I'm just going to trust in you. Literally, not exaggerating, not being a, you know, a sensational preacher trying to make the story sound a little more saltier. Um, I, I literally, to the day, Thursday at 7 p.m., I walked in the back of a room, and there was my wife, because I remember the pants she was wearing, brown corduroy pants, hello, and she walked in the back of the room, and I will never forget, out of 4,000 people in the room, my eyes were attracted to this woman and this woman alone, and something in me knew I needed to pursue this girl. 
It was a decision that I made based on an experience in my life. I made a choice based on a circumstance in my life. And that was one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. Not, if not the best. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All of you who know me are like, oh, yes, she was. <laughs> the second, one of the second decisions is obviously, uh, you know, our kids. You know, when we had Brea, and Ezra's not here, so I can speak plainly. Um, my daughter was just this perfect little princess. Like, we really didn't need to have another kid. Like, just to be honest with you, we were, like, very, very satisfied with Brea. And so we thought, should we get another dog? Or I don't know. Like, how do we, like, and we thought, no, we probably should make the decision. There was nothing in our life circumstantially that forced us to have another kid. We just made a personal decision that we were going to go try to have a kid. And I know there's a lot of folks in here who aren't able to do that so easily. So I don't want to be insensitive. But in my story, I, we, we just decided we're going to go and have children. We're going to go and make this a reality. And, and the Lord is faithful uh, to us in that moment. And, he, and we were enabled to do that. God favored us to do that. And so Ezra came along. And, and I obviously, you know, I wouldn't take Ezra back. Well, yesterday I wanted to take him back. There was like there was the return policy is well expired but now I look at that decision and say yes this made much, a lot of sense to me it was right it was good it was a good decision for my life a third one was our church here circumstances led to starting Love City Church and I love this church and I love what I do and I love you and I love what God's doing and we're, you know, we've only, we're only two and a half years old we're just a baby and God's doing such great things Wednesday night we had our pursuit night here and there was about 10 or 12 people here we had prayer every Wednesday night here from 7 to 8 and we thought guys this is how we started you know two years ago now look what God has done in our midst like God is so faithful, but I've also made some really terrible choices based on my own desires. I remember I was working, uh, I, was, I was working a job and someone I really, really admired said to me, Ryan, like you need to buy a house. And it just settled into my subconscious. And he says, rates are an all-time low of seven and a quarter. Hello. <laughs> Historical low of seven and a quarter for the states, 30-year mortgage, you know, zero down, interest only, no money down. It's a great way, you know, I got, oh, you're, you're smart, and you know what you're doing, and I trust you, and it just settled into my subconscious, even though my wife and I had just signed a lease on this beautiful townhouse, 900 bucks a month, and it was beautiful, it had all the bedrooms and bathrooms we needed, it was brand new, and literally walked around the corner to this beautiful downtown, downtown Gresham, Oregon, and it was just gorgeous, and I loved it, and it was fantastic, and just in my subconscious, I just thought to myself, well, you know, if I'm going to live the life that God's called me to live. I got to have bigger, better, more, bigger, nicer, newer. And so we got to, you know, we're going to live the life that God called us to live. So we got to go out. And we went out and bought this house. And guys, seven years later, it sold on the bank steps in foreclosure. And I had to file for chapter seven bankruptcy. At 26 years old, filing for chapter seven bankruptcy. In my house, watching it sold for $100,000 less than I paid for it. I thought that was a bad decision. That was a decision that led to seven years of experience of me being so angry at God that when they would say, if you need a financial miracle, come forward. And I said, I ain't going forward. God, just, you, you did this to me, God. I was so angry. So our life decisions often lead us to circumstances. And maybe you found yourself in this place. Maybe you've had something happen in your life that you did not plan for and you had to make you on the fly. What do I do? Now I got to get a new job or now I got to, uh, you know, I, we went through a nasty divorce and so now I got to figure out if I got to get married again or man, we tried to have kids and it didn't happen. Now what do we do? Or, or, or man, like all these different circumstances in your life that cause you to make a decision and you try to make the best decision you can possible as followers of God. We are blessed as followers of God to be able to have God leading us in our life. The Bible says, 
His word is like a lamp for our feet, like a light for our path. It says acknowledge God and he will direct your steps. We have the favor and blessing as being followers of Jesus that when we need to make a decision, he can lead us in our lives. But I know maybe you're here today and maybe it's the opposite for you where you've made some decisions in your life. Maybe it's financial. Maybe you bought a house you shouldn't have like we did. Or maybe you got into a relationship that isn't healthy and you're experiencing the benefits. Or maybe you got hurt in a church and now you've kind of carried that along with you. And now you're in this life where yeah, stuff happened and you've made decisions. Or oh, I'm going to quit this job. Or I'm going to buy this brand new car. Or I'm going to buy this new house. Whatever it might be, you've made a decision based upon your subconscious, not faith, your subconscious mind saying, yes, you need this. And you make the decision. Decision, and now you're sitting here today saying, oh, you man, you're so right. That wasn't a good decision. That was not the best choice for my life. It's easy to think when you and I are in those moments, it's hard to feel God's involvement. It's hard to feel like God's involved when you and I make mistakes. It's hard to feel like God is present in our lives when you and I are the culprit for our stupid decisions. When you and I make a mistake, when you and I fall short, when you and I do something we shouldn't, and we're down the line, and now we think a different way, we act a different way, we have different relationships, we have different behaviors, and different customs, and different ideas, all because of one small decision that was based on our own wants in our life, and we, our thoughts were cloudy, and now we're experiencing the benefit or the, 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 the consequence of that, and maybe there's some benefit too. But I don't know about you, but I know that in those moments, those are the moments in my life when I know it's really, really hard to see that God's grace is trying to find me. Those are the moments in life when we look and it's hard for us. We say, God, fix my situation. God, will you sell my house? God, will you forgive this debt? God, will you heal the marriage? God, will you do this? God, will you get this relationship? God, will you get me a new job? God, get me out of this mess. God, where are you? Why do you got me in this place? He says, well, son, you made the decision. I didn't. I'm just trying to help you through it. His grace is trying to find you. But it's very, very hard for us to see the involvement of God in the seasons of our life when we just don't see God. You don't see God involved. You don't see what's going on. And you ask yourself, man, I don't understand why life has turned out this way and whether it be circumstance that you didn't do or just a decision you made circumstantially or a decision it all leads us to a place at times where we wonder God where are you and are you involved in this season of my life but the, the goal of my one thought today for you is that you would know that God's grace is trying to find you no matter where you're at no matter what your journey's at, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter if you've experienced hardship in your life, difficult circumstances, or you made some stupid choices that got you in the place you're in today, I want you to know, no matter where you're at today, God's grace is trying to find you. He's pursuing you. He's chasing you. He's after you. You might not realize it, but he's right on your heels. And I'm encouraging you today to look in your rearview mirror and see the grace of God pursuing you in your life right now. And he pursues you by bringing you a relationship or he pursues you by bringing peace or he pursues you by bringing you opportunity or he pursues you that when the storm is so thick and so large, I don't know why and I don't know how, but I just feel overwhelmed by the presence of God during this most challenging and difficult situation when everyone around me says you should give up or quit or move on. I feel settled in my heart and know God's grace is trying to find. We see this today in our verse 
We're going to look at the chapter 1 of Ruth. We see today in Ruth chapter 1, and we'll read it together, verse 1 to 5, and we're going to kind of just journey through the first part. This week we're going to focus on Naomi. Next week we're going to focus on Ruth a little bit. So come back next week and hear uh, the perspective of the other side of this first chapter. We see in uh, Ruth uh, 1, chapter 1 to 5, it says, In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land, and a man from Bethlehem and Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi, and there were two sons, were Malon and Kilion, and they were uh, Epaphthrites, sorry, from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. That's a hard word for me to say. <laughs> then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. And the two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, not Oprah, but Orpah. And the other woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malon and Kilian died. This left Naomi alone, without her two sons, and without her husband. This is a fascinating story, because if you look at Elimelech, you realize that Elimelech was actually... A follower of God. He was born in, in, in Judah. He was an Israelite. And if, uh, for those of you who maybe aren't aware of this, the Israelites were God, in that time, God's chosen people. The Israelites were God's chosen nation who he led his people out of slavery in Egypt, out into the wilderness. Moses led them, as you remember the old Bible story of the crossing of the Red Sea and, and all the different giants that they faced. And God led the people of Israel into the promised land. And so now we have the Israelites, and the Israelites were God's chosen people. So Elimelech and Naomi lived in the very house of God. If I can just modernize the language, they were followers of God. They were, they were considered Christians, followers of God. They were a part of the church. They, they lived their life for God. They, they lived in a place where their hearts and their lives were centered on God. But then something happened, which I find very, very fascinating, that in the very place of God, in the very place of Judah, in the very place of Bethlehem, which was the birthplace of David and the birthplace of Jesus, we find that there was a famine in God's country with God's people. A famine. Not constant bliss and euphoria. It was a place of famine. It was a place of challenge. The economy was struggling. Business wasn't going. Oil wasn't selling at the price it used to sell. Things weren't quite the same as it used to be. Yet I'm a follower of God and I'm going to church and I'm in the house of God and I'm part of the community of God. And yet for some reason, I'm living in a place where the blessings of God don't seem to be apparent. And Elimelech had to make a decision he had to decide, what am I going to do? Am I going to stay here in the land of God, in the house of God, stay in a place where I really know that I'm supposed to be because the Bible would teach, the Mosaic law would teach that Israelites were not supposed to associate with other foreign lands, specifically the Moabites. And Elimelech was looking online at job opportunities in Moab. And he knew that Moab was not a place in which he was supposed to go because according to the Mosaic law, it said that the Moabites and the Israelites were in, in, uh, they were in conflict with one another. And so it would be a place in which they would go where they would not be accepted. There would not be the same uh, understanding of God and Yahweh and the temple and the temple sacrifices and being in the presence of God. Remember that the manifest presence of God lived in Israel in the tabernacle. And so if they left that place, they were leaving the place in 
which the presence of God was. They were leaving the place in which God's presence lived and they were deciding whether or not I'm gonna take care of my family. I got two kids. I got a wife. I, they're young family. You know, I, I, I lost my job. Things aren't doing really good. I don't know what to do. So he had to make a decision. Am I gonna trust in God to take care of my life in this place that I've chosen to root myself or am I gonna uproot my family and am I gonna move to Moab where I know it's the place where God isn't, am I going to make that decision? And the Bible says here that Elimelech made a choice to uproot his family based on a circumstance. He chose to go from the place of Israel and Judah to the place of Moab. He picked his family up. They got the U-Haul. They went across the whole desert, wherever it is, the whole place there. They settled in Moab, and there they found themselves in a situation where they found a home. I don't think this was a very good decision of Elimelech's. They settled into Moab. I want you to notice something about this verse. Never in this verse does it say that they inquired of the Lord. Never does in this verse does it say that an angel came and met with them that God spoke to them. Never in this voice, verse do we see at all any indication that Elimelech went before God and said, what should I do? He made a personal decision based on the situation he was facing. It seemed overwhelming. It seemed difficult. It seemed like the right thing to do. He used his brain for a moment and said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. But he didn't inquire of the Lord and he found himself in a place where he moved to Moab. And when they did this, they settled in there. They left the city of God they left the place where the followers, followers of God were, and there was a radical outcome to that decision. It says that they got settled in, and immediately something tragic happened. Naomi got up in the morning and made her husband a cup of coffee and some two eggs or some toast and some bacon. He ate his meal as he always does, drank his orange juice, and it was the last time that she would see her husband that day. He went out to work that day, and she never saw her husband again because he died. A tragic accident that we don't understand how, we don't understand why, we don't understand when, we don't know the circumstances. We just know that at that moment there was death, right? Something happened where Elimelech went out and he died. And now his boys are left without a father. He's got a, a widow who has two sons. And in those days, widows were not considered a part of society. They were impoverished. They were looked down upon. They were, just, they, they were, they were people that, that you didn't want to, to be around. They were considered the lower class of society. And so they did not take care of widows. And so now these two boys were going to be in an impoverished home where their mom couldn't get a job, where their mom couldn't get remarried because none of the Moabitess men would marry the Israelite women. This was a very, very challenging situation for Naomi. She found herself in a terrible place. And then what happens 10 years later, her boys go out and now they've graduated from high school. Now they've gotten out of university and they haven't grown up in a place where they were learning about the things of God because that's not what they taught in Moab. And so now the boys made a decision whether out of uh, uh, frustration because their dads died or, or their dad died or maybe because they were sad or maybe because they didn't know or maybe they didn't even know that the, the, according to the Mosaic Covenant that you weren't supposed to marry, uh, you weren't supposed to marry uh, someone from Moab, like, like they, they didn't, maybe they didn't know. And so they went out and they married two Moabitess women. And these Moabitess women didn't know the Lord. And so now Naomi's two sons married two women who didn't even know God. And now it continues to go on where she's seeing the results and the consequences of just some decisions in life. And then one day, her boys, she got a text from her sister, her, her daughter-in-law Ruth and Orpah texted her and said, something tragic has happened. Your, two, your, your sons have died. 
We don't know how, and we don't know why, and we don't know what happened, but we know at this point in the story, Ruth now lives in a land where she's far from home. She's far from God's house. She, her husband died. Her sons died, and now all she's left is with three widows in the middle of nowhere, and she doesn't know what's going on. I mean, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a tragic, difficult day. That is a circumstance and a hardship and a difficulty that would leave any of us in a place where we were wondering, God, why are you so mad at me? Imagine being in this woman's shoes where she's in a place now where she has nothing. It's a bitter and difficult situation. She's left with nothing left. Nothing. Lost all of her loved ones. She didn't, they didn't have any children yet. And so now she has two, two daughters who will never be able to remarry if they stay with her. They'll never be able to have kids. They'll never be able to move on. And here they are in the wasteland, in the middle of nowhere, stuck in a place, all because of a decision that they made. And here they are down the line, and all sorts of life circumstances have happened that have brought them to a place where Naomi is left completely out of nowhere and doesn't know what to do next. It's a sad story. The fascinating thing about this story is that you've got to remember that God is absolutely involved in the life of Naomi. You feel, do you feel it this morning, the depravity and the depth of where this woman's at? Think about your life story right now. Maybe you don't compare. Maybe there's some things you relate to. Maybe you've lost a loved one. But where are you at in your journey today of life? The choices that you've made that brought you to the place of you. I say, Ryan, I identify with some of that that I feel like today. I'm in that same place of Moab, stuck with life circumstances, and I'm stuck, and I don't know what to do. And then we come to verse, we come here to verse, uh, verse six. It says, Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. I love that word, again. Lord, you can do it again. <laughs> so Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab and return to her homeland. Now remember, they're in Moab where the Israelites don't live, where they're, they're separated from, from God, they're separated from the house of God, they live nowhere near the manifest presence of God. Not like us today, where we can come into the house of God and lift our hands and sing our song and God's presence comes down. In those days, it wasn't like that. You had to journey to the tabernacle and you had to be in the presence of God only in the Holy of Holies. So remember that in this context of this verse today, that when they left Israel, they were choosing also to live a life outside of experiencing the presence of God. And it just so happens that Naomi one day went down to the water to gather water and she ran into her friend Lucy and Lucy said, hey, I have a, my brother's cousin's aunt's uncle's nephew's son who works at a fruit stand out two villages down the road mentioned that they heard that the economy in Judah is getting better. I don't know about you, but I see the hand of God in this small little moment where it says Naomi heard. She wasn't doing anything. It was the same situation. It was the same point in her life. She was going on in the tragedy she was at. Yet the grace of God was trying to find her by saying, come on, girl, come on back to the house of God. Come on back to the place of God. He was out there speaking to people, navigating sovereignly that she might be at the right place at the right time, getting that water to hear that story to remind her that your God can do it again in your life. 
And at that moment, when she heard that, she instantly knew that the grace of God was trying to find her. And she made a decision. She says, okay, girls, I know you live here. I know your family's here, but I'm heading back to Judah. I'm going back to Judah, and when I get back to Judah, I'm going to get back there. I'm going to go back to the place. That word, look what it says, return to her homeland. That word return is to go back to where I started, to go back to get refreshed, to go back to God. I want to return to God. I'm going to recognize I made some terrible decisions. I never should have bought that stinking house. I should have trusted in the Lord and not trusted in man. I should have put my hope in God and trusted in his provision and his ways instead of trying to carve out the life that I wanted for myself. I should have put my, I recognize that today. I should have, now I want to return back to the place where I know God is in control of my life. And so she made a choice. She made a choice to go back and to get on track and to go back to the place where God had called her. And what you maybe don't remember is that this wasn't just convenient. This was a prophetic fulfillment. In 1 Samuel 16, 1, it says that's where David was anointed king. In Micah chapter 5, 2, that says that's where Jesus would, be, would live and be born. There was a legacy waiting for her in Bethlehem and Judah. There was a legacy waiting for her when she made a decision to say, I'm going to go back to where I started and start this journey with God over again. And you think after 12, 14, 15 years of losing your husband and losing your, your sons and now having Moabitess women who didn't know God, how can God turn this into something good? But what you don't realize is that our God can do the impossible. He can take all the situations in your life that you have screwed up and he can redeem it for his glory and get you back on track to make sure that you get back in Judah where he needs you to be so that you can fulfill the legacy and the call of God in your life. It doesn't matter what happened in your life. It doesn't matter where you're at today or how far you feel from God. There is a legacy. He is involved and his grace is constantly trying to find you. She didn't realize that there was more to it than just her Going back, what God knew is, okay, come on, girl. All right, young man. All right, young woman here today. All right. I know your marriage is in shambles because of some bad decisions that you've made. But I got a legacy for you. We're going to get you back there. And so it says in verse 7 that with her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her, two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me and may the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. And then she kissed them goodbye and they all broke down and wept and they said, no, we don't want to go with you to your people. We want to go with you. So here now Naomi is saying, okay, I recognize now that I want to give these girls an out. Because you have to understand something again. If they stay with Naomi, Naomi, if she gets married, she probably will be too old when she has another child the child will be too young for Naomi and Orpah to marry. Now, and they're committing themselves to a life of poverty. They're committing themselves to a life of never having children, to never getting married, to never living in, a, in her husband's home who provide for her. They, he's saying, listen, I want you to know that if you continue down this path, you will not have a very good life. You need to not go with me. They try to talk her out of coming. And the verse says, I love this verse, with her two daughters-in-law, I'm going to finish this verse. 
She set out from the place where she had been living and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her due daughters-in-law, and I've read this already, but I want to jump down to verse 14. And it says, And again they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. So I want you to follow me here. Now, Naomi made it, her husband made a decision that wasn't a great one. They found themselves, lost her husband, lost her sons. She's left with these two Moabitess women. Now these two Moabitess women know that if they journey back with Naomi, their life's not going to amount to very much. It's not going to go very far. So she gives them an out and says, I want you to leave. And finally Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah says, okay, I take the out. I'm going to leave you. You're right. Thank you for journeying with me. Thank you for giving me an out. I want out of your life. You're right. Following after you is not going to get me anywhere. I want to go get married. And she released herself and Naomi let her go. They kissed, they cried, and they left and they walked away. Naomi, Naomi let Orpah leave and Orpah left and went back to start her new life. But in verse 14, letter B, look what it says. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Now I want you to follow me here this morning. This is such a beautiful picture of how God's grace finds you. That when you are in a season of your life where you have messed things up, God found a way to get you back towards his kingdom and back to following him and back to serving his presence and back to focusing on the call of God and the legacy of God. He's got your heart pitter-pattering. Okay, I'm going to make that decision and I'm going to start moving forward. And little did Naomi know that God was coupling her with a woman that would be at her side and hold tightly to her and cling to her. That word uh, clung there actually means to pursue by catching. This word means that she was being chased by Ruth. Ruth would not let her go. And did you know that that's exactly what the grace of God does in your life? He couples his grace with you. And so now when you make that decision to go back to where you started and you make that decision that God's grace finds you, Ruth looked at her and said, I will never leave you. Your people will be my people. Where you live, I'm going to live. That's exactly what God says to you today, that no matter where you go and no matter what you do, God's grace is there to pour himself out to you. When life gets good, God's grace is there. When life gets bad, God's grace is there. When there's death in your family, God's grace is there. And I want you to hear me this morning. Nothing Nothing changed about Naomi's situation other than her one decision to go back to God. That's when the grace of Jesus Christ started being ministered. Do you want to know why? Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So when you recognize today, okay, God, I've made some decisions in my life that don't amount to a life that I know that you want from me. Okay, God, I'm going to make a decision today. Guess what? He starts pouring out his grace. He starts giving you passion and purpose and patience. And he starts pouring into your heart. He starts bringing right relationships and right opportunities and right moments. And when you're down and depressed, he brings faith and joy and hope in your heart. He starts to couple you with grace and pour out his grace on your life. And Naomi is the example exact same lady the only difference is her heart was turned towards the Lord now I want, to, I want you to hear what I'm about to say often you and I get upset with God and you'll see the rest of our time here today Naomi went back into the city and when she went back into the city all her friends looked at her and said is this Naomi he said where's your friend Where, where's your, your husband where's your sons who are these Moabitess women? 
What's going on? And she said, don't you dare call me Naomi. You call me Mara. Because I am bitter before the Lord. She said, I went out full and I came back empty. The Almighty God has done this to me. I want you to hear me today. You might be here today and you're just like Naomi. You are feeling bitter. You are feeling angry. And it is pointed at God. I want you to know, we've all been there before. But I want you to know something. Did you know that as she was confessing that to her friends, Ruth was standing right next to her. Grace was right there next to her, enduring her bitterness, enduring her pain, enduring the season of life she's in. Because often we are bitter and angry with God because we want him to change our situation when in reality the grace of God isn't always for your situation. The grace of God is for you in your life, in your heart. He might not heal that person. He might not Forgive that debt. He might not sell that house. And our emotion and our faith is attached to what happens in our life when in reality, as Andrew read this morning, in our, our strength is made perfect in our weakness and we recognize that the grace of God he's pouring out in your life isn't for your situation, it's for you. And as Naomi was confessing her anger and her bitterness and her frustration and how angry she was at God, and trust me, I've been there. My wife knows. The whole time I was just spewing anger at God. The grace of God stood there the whole time and just said, it's okay. Ryan, son, I love you. Son, I love you. I want you to know, I know you don't feel it right now, but I'm just trying to get you back to Judah. I'm just trying to get you back to the place where your heart's on me. I'm just trying to get you back to the place where I can provide for you because I got a legacy for you and I'm involved in your life. I just want to get you to the place where you can begin to recognize that the grace of God is continually pouring out on those who humble themselves before the Lord and say, God, I need you. His grace is sufficient. His grace is powerful. His grace ministers to you. His grace doesn't make any sense when you're trying to figure out why you feel this way surrounded by death and destruction and disaster. You say, why do I feel so good in my heart? It's called the grace of Jesus. Ruth standing right next to you enduring the difficulty that you're facing in your life. I want to show you a last verse this morning as we end. Andrew already read it this morning. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 Corinthians chapter um, 12. Before I read that, I do want to read this one verse and then I'll read that verse. <laughs> I'm going to give you a word today. Right now, I'm going to say something that I really need you to listen to. And I mean this. I, I'm not being um, a sensationalist or over-emotional. I really believe that if you can hear what I'm about to say, there could be breakthrough in your life. This is a, scripture, a biblical thought, what I'm about to say to you. As we follow our life, the, the journey of our life, we generally base our love for God based on how our circumstances change. And you have to recognize that the objective of life is not to have a perfect, well, health, even though God wants to do that. Believe me, he wants to give you health. He wants to bless you. He, just trust me. He wants to do all those things. But we all know there's a season of our life where that doesn't happen. And guess what? It's because God's grace is not for your earthly situation. God's grace is for your eternal soul. And so when we get angry at God, listen, it's normal. But I want to encourage you today. If you're in a situation that your choice has led to that, firstly, you've got to acknowledge that it was your decision, not God's, to get you into that situation. You've got to humble yourself, firstly. 
Secondly, you have to recognize something. That if we cannot recognize that Ruth or grace is standing next to us, there's a chance you could miss the grace of God. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 12. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. In the context of this is watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Based on this verse, if we allow ourselves to stay in the place of Mara, you could miss Ruth standing right next to you. You could miss that relationship that's been hunting you down, that, that girlfriend who's, as a, you're, you're a female, and this girlfriend, this friend of yours, has been trying to pursue you and be in your life, but you just keep rejecting him because you don't want to be around him because it makes you feel a certain way about your life. And you say, no, that's the grace of God trying to minister to you. Or a job opportunity that comes coming up that it's a little bit less money, but man, it's a perfect environment and it just makes me feel right, but it just doesn't have the, the, the sex appeal that this job does. But man, I just feel like that's, you know, actually I'm going to take this over here. No, that's God's grace trying to minister to you. The moments when, when you feel joy and you feel guilty for having joy. Ever felt that way? You have a really good day and then you start feeling guilty because you're having a good day and you feel like you don't deserve the good day because you're a bad person. You feel like, oh, I'm so terrible. Just stop it and accept the fact that Ruth's hanging out with you today. See, bitterness and our perspective of our circumstance can, can shield us from ex realizing that even the sun rising in the morning when it's super warm, as I walked out this morning, I thought, God, thank you for your grace because it, fa it found me today. Oh, well, car right here, I was crying in the car to this song because his grace so consistently finds us. We're rock hard religious, angry in our lives, and yet Ruth is just sitting there with us. He just finds us. Just finds a way to remind us that, hey, God's moving in Judah. He just finds a way to remind us that God wants to move. You want, I want to move in your life, right? I want to move in your life today. Look at this verse in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul said, I was given a gift, a gift of a handicap. <laughs> to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down, and what he in fact did was push me to my knees. No danger of then walking around high and mighty. He says, now I can't have any pride. Look at my finances. Look at the decision I made. Look at my marriage. I married the wrong person, but you know what? It is what it is, and we're gonna make this work, but look at this limit, this is a limitation. Not me, I'm not saying about my wife. <laughs> saying if you're here today. <laughs> Man, I got this sickness in my life and it just won't go away. And man, I'm, I'm getting frustrated. And like, but that limitation continues to get me on my knees before the Lord. How am I responding to that limitation? Do I get on my knees before God and humble myself? Or do I say, God, why aren't you healing me? I deserve it. And I get it. We want it. We want God to heal us. We want God to transform us. We want God to do something new in our life. I want it too. But... His grace is not always for your circumstances. Grace is for your soul. It's for your heart that you might know him better. To get you to fall on your knees before him and say, all right, God, if this never gets healed, I'm going to serve you. My marriage is never quite as I hoped it would. I'm going to serve you. My finances never align or I never get that job or this thing never lines up. I'm going to serve you. And Ruth just starts pursuing you. what it says 
No danger of then walking around prideful or high and mighty. Look at this. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift. And I begged God to remove it. There's the circumstance. Three times Paul did that. And then God spoke to him. My grace is enough. It's all you need. I know you want your body healed, and I, God wants to heal your body, but you have to recognize the goal is not to get your body healed. The goal is to experience a relationship with Jesus. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Look at this. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap, and I began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride. With good cheer, these limitations that cut me down to size, the abuse and the accidents and the opposition and just the bad breaks in life, I just let Christ take over. So the weaker I get, the stronger I become. So a position like that, what Paul realized was, that when you and I recognize that the circumstances of life that we've got ourselves into, yeah, it sucks. And yeah, God's going to be with you. But His grace is constantly looking to find you and minister to you and pour out to your heart. He's constantly trying to find you. And this is my challenge for you today. Take a moment, humble yourself, and ask God to show you where that is. Is it a relationship you're pushing away? Is it a church you're pushing away? Is it a ministry you're pushing away? Is it healing with your father or your mother or your marriage? What is the grace that God's trying to minister to you that you keep saying, leave me? No. No, I'm not good enough. And I, I don't deserve it. And don't stick with me. And I don't, I don't deserve your grace. And I don't deserve your love. And I'm such a terrible person. I'm, I'm so gross and disgusting and perverse. And I'm so foolish and stupid. And I make such dumb mistakes. And yet Ruth is just there clinging to you through it all. Stop today and stop trying to reject the grace of God and just step back and say, I just don't deserve it. But God, I receive it. And you'll watch. He'll begin to navigate you as we'll share for the next six, or six weeks how all your only position needs to be this. God, I recognize that I need you and his grace ministers. God, I recognize I need you and his grace ministers. And you watch. God just sets them up and they did nothing. He just had a position. God's grace being involved in my life. Ruth is with you. Grace is with you right now in your life. Come on, would you stand with me this morning and close your eyes for a moment? Come on, let me pray for you this morning. With every eye closed in this place. Come on, every eye closed across this room. Come on, every week we ask two questions. The first question is for those in the room today who just say, Ryan, I've been trying to... Uh, I've been kind of standing with my arm up, rejecting this grace. I've made some bad choices. I, I've made some decisions in my life that have led to the circumstances that I'm in. And firstly, Lord, we want to acknowledge that. But Lord, for those in the room, firstly, God, who can't acknowledge that, or those in the room today, God, who have been rejecting the grace of God or maybe just not wanting it or, or, or embarrassed or fearful or guilty or shameful today, well, if you're in the room today and that's you, I'm, I'm not going to call you forward. I just want to pray for you today. I want to know who I'm praying for. 
say, Ryan, that's me. I just, I want to be able to accept this grace into my life. Come on, if that's you today, would you just place your hand in the air just so I can see with every eye closed. I want to pray with you today. Come on, put your hand in the air. Come on. It's real high. Come on, there you go. Amen. All right, my second question today. You're here today and you don't know the Lord. You don't know Jesus. And you say, man, I'd like to come home. I'd like to return I'd like to start this journey in my life and I don't have all the answers or I don't understand all the nuances of all the theology and all those things, but today I just hear, I want to start this journey of knowing God better. And that's you today. You're here today and you'd like to give your life to Jesus and start a journey with him. Would you just place your hand in the air today? Real quick, I won't call you forward. I won't embarrass you. Come on, just put your hand in the air. Come on, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. Come on, two people raise their hand today to accept Jesus. All right, church, I'm going to pray with you today. I'm going to pray for this first group, and then the second group, we're going to pray together. Come on, for the sake of right now, all across heaven, heaven is rejoicing. Come on, would you rejoice with us today? Lord, we want to say firstly, for those in the room, Lord, hands all across the room that acknowledge that, Lord, they just need you in their lives, God. We recognize today that, Father, we are sometimes just really stubborn and foolish people. Sometimes we just try our best, God, but we just falter in life and we just make decisions sometimes based on our own desires and our own way. And, and Lord, we just recognize today that, Father, we are so sorry. We want to get on track with you. We want to go back to Judah today. So, Father, those in the room, God, who've raised their hand for that first question, I pray today, God that you would come right now as you've always been there. You've never left them. You've never forsaken them. You've never stopped being at their side. You've always been present in their lives. Now, Lord, my only prayer is that you would open their eyes to see it. Reveal to them yourself, Lord, once again. Show yourself to find them and be with them and minister to them. Come on, church. I want you to repeat after me today. Every person in this room, we're going to pray with these two people today. Come on, real loud, repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you today. I realize that I need you today. I don't have all the answers. I really don't know what I'm doing. But I need you. So I start today by saying that I need you. And I want to start a journey with you. And I want your grace in my life. Come on, church, real loud. Will you forgive me for all my sin? And Jesus, will you come into my heart? Come on, real loud. I confess that you're God. And that I need you in my life. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.